Hi, John. How are you today? Good, Elliot. How are you doing? I'm good too, thanks. And where are you today? Where in the world am I? I'm actually in Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, we are at the ninth annual BSA AML Financial Crime Prevention Conference that's um, organized by the Missouri Bankers Association. And they've asked me over the course of the past, I think it's past six years to uh, be their MC and uh, put together the panels and everything. So we start later today. Uh, this is a couple hundred community bankers, really the only training they get throughout the year in BSA. And so we are fortunate that a number of people that you and I both know, both from regulatory communities, but, but also more importantly, the law enforcement communities are physically here. They've come out to talk about a whole host of issues from elder abuse to use of SARS to the fentanyl problem, dealing with bribery and corruption. So a really good program. So if the the quality of the sound is not as sharp as usual. The signals are not great here. So I want to just mention that to our listening audience before we get started. Okay. Sounds like a, another exciting program. As you mentioned, you've done this over the years and an important thing for the community bank part of our community, which often doesn't have the resources either to attend large conferences or to bring in their own top level speakers. Great thing to be doing. That's right. A couple, couple of things we want to cover. One is late last week, FinCEN, in uh, connection with OCIF, which is the Puerto Rican Banking Commissioner's Office, issued a $15 million fine against a IBE, uh, independent banking entity in Puerto Rico, Bank Credito International Bank and Trust. And interesting for a couple of reasons. One is IBEs were called out specifically in the last national risk assessment uh, by the Treasury Department as an area of concern. And also the director or the head of the OCIF, which is somebody who I've had the pleasure of meeting and be on panels with, Natalia Ziguiera Diaz. She has been very vocal about the need for IBEs to have strong AML programs. And this is a case in which this institution literally had no AML program. From October 2015 to May of 2022, a whole host of deficiencies, including no due diligence uh, for correspondent accounts, failure to file timely SARS, even after OCIF pointed out the issues. And Vincent, in their press release, their new director said, this is, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect that this is a statement we're no longer going to accept money laundering activities in Puerto Rico. So a pre pretty important one. I suggest folks read the consent order. It definitely talks about those specific type of institutions, those IBEs. But more importantly, what happens when you ignore regulators at the state level or federal level, what turns out to be violations of law gets enhanced, if you will, because of that neglect and outright rejection of things that they needed to do, which uh, 2023 is still baffling to me. But anyway, so $15 million fine, they lost their license. And this to me is a clear signal from OCIF and, and Vincent, of course, that IBEs uh, in Puerto Rico need to step up their game. And I, I actually was part of a panel where we talked to IBE representatives probably late, late last year about the importance of AML programs. So it's not as if they don't have the message. So I think it's pretty important we take a look at that. And I will just say, to be candid, right source, we've done some work in Puerto Rico helping institutions. And this is just another clear indicator of the need for that.
Yes, I saw that consent order and I agree with you. I was a little baffled how an organization can be in the financial services business in mid to late 2023 and have no program. You almost have to um, close your ears intentionally uh, to not know that you need some. Maybe it's not effective, but to have nothing is pretty amazing. I think that's right. We see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah, I no know. that really works as a compliance. What did Bob Dole once say? See no evil, speak no evil, and evil he was referring to an individual, which you can look it up. You can Google that. Yes, there you go. The other thing is also FinCEN. You and I have talked a lot about beneficial ownership and about the uh, registry for which there are proposals and regulations out in the U.S. And early this week, FinCEN published its Small Entity Compliance Guide on Beneficial Ownership Information. And it is a long piece, and I would say, I think, well done, 56 pages, and it goes through things in the way I think makes sense. Do I have a reporting obligation? So they go through all the definitions and um, use some effective flowcharts and other things to help people figure out whether they have a reporting obligation. And then, okay, now that I have to report, what do I have to report? Meaning who's my, who are my beneficial owners? There are other people besides beneficial owners that get caught up in, the, in being reported about. And then there's, what do I have to report? And when should I file my initial BOI report? Again, depends on when the company was formed. And what if there are changes? So I put something in and it turns out I, I put it in wrong. How do I fix it? So it's quite clear from reading the introduction that the plan, at least as it sits today, is that a January 1st, 2024 effective date for filing reports, depending on, again, when you, when your company was formed is a goal. And that's interesting. You and I have talked a lot about the comments that people have had about whether the regime as proposed by FinCEN is really ready for prime time and whether the actual mechanical components of the regime, like the registry itself and all of those things are really ready for prime time. And this responds very directly to an issue that's been raised a number of times, and that is there's been no outreach. So this is clearly an outreach tool. By itself, I'm not sure it's enough, but it's fine to put it out on the internet and put it on the BOI landing page on the FinCEN website. But whether it gets to the thousands and thousands of potential filers is a different question. Yeah. I agree, but we don't know the answer to whether they have other communication strategies in the pipeline. In fact, at this conference, I'm going to be interviewing a FinCEN representative, and that'll be a question that I will ask them. I know they know that's been the criticism. In fact, if you go on LinkedIn, it's always interesting to see those that give FinCEN no credit for anything. And legitimate criticism makes sense, and that is one, that you're dealing with probably hundreds of thousands of LLCs that probably have no idea what FinCEN is. Although, <laughs> right. I, I find that a little hardly, but whatever. So give them that part of it. So I think we should continue to ask them what that plan is, in part because our community, the AML community, especially in the financial sector, that's going to help them in terms of dealing with their clients and their customers if the, they understand the requirements that they have individually as an LLC, because then there won't be that anger toward the institution that has to ask 
potentially follow-up question. We'll see, but I, again, I think that's fair. I am surprised too, because we had seen an indicator that January 1st, 2024 date was going to be pushed. There is legislation that we should mention. I believe it's bipartisan. I think there's actually going to be a vote this same week that we're recording this on pushing the dates back to 90 days from the 30 days and then a year from the original proposal for existing customers. So that would take us to January 1st, 2025. And then if you set one up next year, you'd have 90 days to fulfill the information as opposed to 30. Educated guests, that'll probably pass because I can't imagine there's a lot of opposition to that. And I don't really see that as political if you're just extending timelines. I would imagine that's going to happen. So maybe that's what Vincent is saying. We still have these dates in play. They know, obviously, the House Financial Services is picking up on this legislation this week. So rather than make the change now, they'll take the change that that Congress tells them to take. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. I I think that's good insight. The other thing everybody should be aware of is jointly with issuing the guide, they also issued updated beneficial ownership information reporting frequently asked questions. They take the elements of the guide and restructure it into a Q&A format primarily, which is how most FAQs get built. Again, I think there's a lot there. The FAQs go on for a fair number of screens full of information. FinCEN also reemphasize that they're pulling all of the beneficial ownership information together on a specific landings page in their website. And you can find the links to that in the announcement of the, of the issuance of the guide. And we'll link to that in the, on our website, in the description of today's episode. I read through it, start to finish, and I would give them pretty decent grade on trying to lay out what can be somewhat complicated things for people who don't think about this stuff the way you and I do all the time in terms of figuring out, does this apply to me? And there are places where I'm not sure how you do it better. Some of the stuff is still a little unclear. It's very clear they intend to continue to update this thing because the footer says beneficial ownership information, reporting requirements, small entity compliance guide, September, 2023 version 1.0. We're going to see more here as they get questions and things. The other thing, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, that I thought was interesting for all of the graphics that are in here to help everybody understand it. What's missing is when you get to the, what do I have to file? There are no screenshots of the user interface to the registry, which tells me that it's not done yet. I think that's right. I think that's right. More to come on this. Obviously, we'll continue to follow this as we have been. Elliot, you have a uh, webinar coming up this month. You want to talk about that? Yes. So the webinar coming up this month is the 28th, and it's about running a fraud program. And our colleague Chuck Taylor is going to be moderating that with some fraud experts. We expect it to be a great program. It's good, even if you're not on the fraud side of your company or your organization, to sit in because we're finding that there is more and more convergence of fraud and other financial crimes, including money laundering, where fraud 
15, 20 years ago was check fraud and that kind of thing. And those folks were off in a different part of the business focusing on that. Fraud now is much broader, being viewed more broadly and is often connected to money laundering. So even if you're not a fraud specialist, I would recommend you listening to it. And John, I know you've got some new interviews planned. Yeah. So we, we interviewed Kira Zalin who is a investigative journalist about that world that she's in and some of the dangers of being a journalist nowadays. So that's going to be up uh, soon. And then I'm going to interview a former DOJ lawyer who's done a lot of work in the uh, anti-corruption space, uh, Jonathan Lopez. I've actually interviewed Jonathan before, so this will be the second time for him. Uh, he's got some really great insight. And then uh, something that uh, is important to, to us on a, both a personal and a, uh, just a general level is we're going to interview several um, representatives of the Foley Foundation. And I've interviewed folks from that organization before. They've come up with their fifth annual report on, on bringing hostages home. Foley Foundation was created by Diane Foley, the mother of Jim Foley, who was assassinated by ISIS back in 2014. And she's created this foundation over the years that works with various governments to deal with how do we get hostages home and the challenges there. So we'll talk about the report. We'll also talk about the foundation. And again, it's relevant because we, as we're recording this, five U.S. citizens were brought home from Iran who had been unjustly captured and kept in jail for a number of years, which that continues to occur. So it's relevant to national security. So we're going to have that conversation and we will host that a few days after that interview. And then we're always looking for more. And I would just say, again, as we say every couple of episodes, please rate us, send us around to your friends and neighbors. So it's a short 10, 15 minute conversation. We try to give you something that's gone on in a particular week. And I think it's important that we hear from you. What should we be covering? If not in these short conversations, sit down conversations, 30 minutes, 20 minutes with people you want to hear from. So reach out to Elliot or myself. We'd be happy to follow up. And lastly, as I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, John and I are going to be in Las Vegas for the ATAMS assembly at the beginning of October. And we'd love to meet you. We're actually going to record our first episode in October while we're at the conference. Look forward to meeting any of you who want to stop by and share your ideas with us in person. That sounds great. Elliot, take care of yourself and we'll talk again next week. You too. Have a great conference. Bye-bye. 